And though it doesn't feel like this now, this pandemic will pass. It won't last forever. And one day, hopefully soon, we will be looking back on it, not living through it. What you've seen throughout this crisis is that the, the union working together with the, 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 the money for supporting people through furlough, the, the army working on the, on the testing, moving people around. But now what we want to do is build back better together. The reputation of the Scottish Government tainted. The standing of this Parliament diminished. A culture of secrets and cover-up that is only growing and it is all taking place on Nicola Sturgeon's watch. There is a reputation here that I think is uh, perhaps disintegrating before our eyes and it's, uh, it's not mine, may, may I say, but Ruth Davison has just gone through there uh, a litany of nonsense. The Steamy, a laudable production for the Scotsman. Hello and welcome to the Steamy, the Scotsman's political podcast um, is back. It's our last week um, before a very brief break because I'm on holiday next week and uh, Gina deserves a break from the Steamy as well for at least a week. Um, but Gina, how are you doing? How are things? Um, busy week or at least a busy weekend? Yes, it feels that um, despite the fact that recess is fast approaching, um, Parliament breaks this this. Thursday coming for its summer holidays, um, it, things are still busy. You know, it's not it's not calmed down quite in the way I thought it had initially after the election. Things seemed quite calm and slow, but this this last week or so, it's the um, the politics has picked up the pace again. Let's see. <laughs> Absolutely, I know. I was luckily. I, I know. I just said I'm going on holiday, but I've also just been on holiday. Um, Too many holidays. Too many holidays. Well, I don't think there's enough holidays. But, um, <laughs> it's a scandal. <laughs> it's a scandal. Um, I, I think uh, what I did do, though, is I did the thing that I think a lot of political journalists do and turned off Twitter for a whole five days. It was blissful, uh, I bet. It was It was absolutely beautiful. No generalised abuse in my direction, you know, <laughs> and all of that. Um, but, yeah, it, it seemed like a lot happened over the weekend. You know, we're, what we're thinking of doing this week, just ahead of the parliamentary recess is to talk about the last parliamentary term and then talk about what we can expect when parliament when Holyrood is back in August um but a lot has happened over the weekend as well um we saw a big stooshy if you like between Nicola Sturgeon and Andy Burnham the 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 mayor of Manchester I, I we've also heard the um renaissance of the assisted dying bill um over the weekend we're going to I'm sure hear lots more about over the coming weeks. Um, and also we had um, another resurfacement, if that's a word, I don't think it is, um, of um, the idea of all Scots, regardless of where they live in the UK, voting in Indy Ref 2. So a quiet, a quiet weekend. Yeah, not much to chat about, really. Just, you know, <laughs> just everything. <laughs> just everything, indeed. Life we'll, and we'll, death we'll, and everything in between. <laughs> we'll start at the, at, at the biggest, you know, looking back at the last... Um, parliamentary session, and we'll 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 count this back to um, last summer, really. Um, given otherwise, we'd be talking about five years. Um, so if we talk about the Sturgeon inquiry to start with, because that was the big event, um, we still, interestingly enough, haven't had a full response by the Scottish government to the three reports that came came out of the back of it. Um, we were told that was coming, or I was told that was coming in June. Um, 
we've got only a handful of days before though that response is coming and presumably they'll have to get something out this week but um do you think Look the, out for the it inquiry on Thursday, <laughs> yes exactly yeah. Th- Thursday at 5 45 yeah. p.m um what what's your what's your take on the inquiry you know reflecting back on it it was a, an intense probably six months from about August but the Salmond inquiry it was it was a, such a huge political moment in 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 Scottish politics absolutely something that you know had never been seen before and fingers crossed we're unlikely to see again you know given the the, the subject matter of it all and I think um it's a it was an inquiry that that has shaken the SNP to such an extent that you know it, it, it'd be interesting to see if, if it recovers. I'm talking about internally, obviously, because it, it didn't really affect them at the election. Let's let's face it. Um, and at the same time, it has shaken people's faith in the parliament and how it works. So it's had a real, real impact. And as you say, we're still waiting for these reports. So it, it, it's still rolling on. And today in the Scotsman, you know, we have a story saying that um, Liz Lloyd, who's Nicola Sturgeon's right-hand woman, her, her chief advisor, she is on an extended period of leave. Um, now she says she's on holiday, but you know she's been replaced in her position while she's on holiday um, by one of the other top um, spin doctors, Colin McAllister. So um, it doesn't really sound like she's just off on a, a two-week break. Um, so so that's still rumbling along. And you know there, are, there have been SNP insiders, shall we say, who have suggested that because of Elizabeth uh, Lloyd's role throughout that inquiry, and and in fact, you know, in, in terms of the government's investigation into the, the harassment complaints in the first instance, that a new role is going to be need to be, to be found for her, uh, which is away from Nicola Sturgeon. So, I think we could probably look ahead and say that 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 will happen. What that role will be, of course, it, it is another another thing altogether. But. Without a doubt, I think her remaining so close to Nicola Sturgeon will be seen by some within the SNP as problematic. So that, that could be why she's on this extended period of leave. But we'll, we'll have to wait and see what happens there. And again, you know, as we're about to go into recess, so not much has happened. But again, I think when we come back uh, in September, there will be moves afoot to try and rework how the parliament works properly to make sure that the committee structure uh, is effective in holding the government to account. Alison Johnson, we had a, a, an interview with her in the paper on Sunday there. She has already said that um, she believes these smaller committees, there's quite a few smaller committees this year ahead of just five people, um, will be much more effective than than larger ones because MSPs can really ask the questions of, of uh, the people that are in front of them. So we'll see how, how that goes. Um, but she also suggested that we need to look again at... Uh, elections to conveners rather than just appointments by parties so that that could come up again but it's definitely one of these inquiries that has um will have long-lasting effects i think in, in many many areas in, in scottish politics absolutely I mean, in the other aspects of that inquiry that you know have been topics of discussion we've 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 lost our lord advocate um to a planned resignation allegedly um, after it, there's obviously discussions about um, the future of that role, whether or not um, it retains its dual role as head of the prosecution service and as chief legal advisor. And we've also got um, a new Lord Advocate in in Dorothy Bain QC, who's just been appointed in the last week. Um, 
So that discussion is going to rumble on. Um, it didn't sound to me as if when I spoke to Keith Brown a few weeks ago, as if there's much appetite within the SNP for large scale reform, but they, they will consult on it. That, that, that's one aspect. In the other aspect of all of this, of course, is whether or not the Scottish government it, itself as an institution, um, and by that I mean the civil service within it and, and the people who really control the nuts and bolts of the organisations, is fit for purpose and actually competent. Now, um, we heard musings from Mr Salmond, the former First Minister, that he is going to take Leslie Evans to court um, as permanent secretary at some point over her handling of of the whole saga. Um, that When that happens, if that happens, that's going to be a significant moment as well. And we'll arguably have everything that we've had dragged through the drew that dragged through the hedge over the last six months dragged through the hedge once again and the Scottish government's reputation as a slightly more squeaky clean and well-oiled machine than than Westminster and Whitehall is likely to be further damaged absolutely I think I think you're right I think there's there's real questions to be asked about about the civil service um and its role not just in this but but in other aspects of of policy uh, making and 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 how it operates and i think um i know i'll have uh, dave penman from from their union probably coming down on, <laughs> on my head again because i have written about this in the past but it does feel that um there's a lack of robustness within the scottish civil service um and you know that that could just be a perception. It might not be the reality, but you know it's a perception that is uh, problematic for them. And I think the the, the Alex Salmond inquiry um, did not show it in the best of lights. Let's face it, and certainly didn't show Leslie Evans in the best light. And uh, you know her her um, control over what's going on there is definitely uh, dubious. I would say. And then of course we've seen just over the weekend again uh, a release of more um, emails through freedom of information between police scotland and the, the civil service during the time when they were looking at the, the sexual harassment allegations when they were conducting their own internal inquiry and asking the police and we we, we spoke about this before i think on uh, on the steamy and um, we certainly wrote a lot about it when it came to light that it was almost like they, the scottish government were trying to ask the police what would happen if they came to them with allegations without actually going to them with the allegations. And of course, the police pushed back on that quite strongly and said, well, this is not the way to carry out this kind of thing. We need to know what's going on. And and there's more emails that have come out that, that, that show that. And I think, yeah, there are, there's certainly a feeling that there's a lack of control or a lack of expertise or a lack of a lack of something going on, robustness, you know, pushback in many aspects um, of, of policy and the way the, the, the civil service conducts itself. And that might sound unfair. There's probably lots of very, well, there are lots of very incredibly hardworking, dedicated civil servants in Scotland, but it's that kind of top level management where you kind of feel these staff and, and everybody else is being let down. And as mentioned, you know, we the Laura Dunlop review into, into the harassment complaints procedure was pretty damning in itself. Um, the Hamilton inquiry was damning uh, as well into the handling of it. And of course, it goes without saying that the Salmon inquiry itself, uh, the committee report was, you know, it was absolutely scathing yeah. of, of how everything had been handled. And as I said earlier, it, it it's notable that we are now 
um, three months almost to the day um, since those inquiries all you know were published. And we have no full response from the Scottish government on how they are going to respond to these recommendations mm -hmm. and what work to improve, as you say, the robustness of, of the of the Scottish government as an institution will, will, will be taken forward. Um, it's certainly something that I think more questions need to be asked of yeah. of the government, and I imagine we, we, we may well hear more of it um, post-recess in August. And I think we shouldn't ever forget what the two women who, you mm. know, were at the centre of it all within the Scottish government said when they did give their evidence to the, the parliamentary committee about how they were treated, you know, by the civil service, by the HR department, you know, and they were treated appallingly and just kind of dropped like a stone um, when it was became apparent that things had gone wrong in the way that the the um, investigation had been carried out. And I just, you know, I really, I really feel for them, and I, I just wonder how they, you know, again, you've never really heard a proper a proper apology, you know, to them. Mm -hmm. Um, it's that kind of it's always that kind of mealy mouth things well I'm sorry if you felt that way you know but it's like you should be sorry to feel that way they should be sorry that, that it happened in the first instance you know that they that they were treated in that manner so yeah I think this report or their government's reaction to to the recommendations is is really vital to ensure that you know nobody else if they ever unfortunately have to go through um, an episode of sexual harassment in the, in the workplace is left to feel like that again absolutely and um, we'll move on i mean the the it was an incredible uh couple of days really um in in late march that we had the three reports or at least we had the hamilton report and the Salmon inquiry i think the dunlop review was further down the line um and then almost instantaneously we had the story of the election um which was the launch of um alex salmon's new political vehicle um the alaba party um I think that happened on the Friday of that of that week, um, and took a lot of people um, by surprise. Um, the election, in and of itself, was a little bit of a non-event, um, but it's worth talking about the impact of Alba and where their future lies in the coming months. We've obviously got some local elections next May, um, which they've said they're going to contest. They'll probably contest it nationwide. Um, but looking at the election, do you think that they managed, they successfully managed to change the debate um, or was it more of the same? Uh, it was a bit of a status quo election from my point of view. Yeah, the results certainly were. I think what they did um, possibly for people who are supporters of independence was made them think about how they used their, their second vote. Um, and I think the Greens were maybe a bit more of the beneficiaries of that than, than the Alpha Party were. Um, I think... Uh, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I think the the media came in for a lot of criticism for giving them any kind of um, uh, oxygen at all, you know, given you know what the charges that had been put at um, Alex Salmond initially, which let's be very clear, he was he was cleared of in court, but his behaviour, you know, as even he has admitted, maybe wasn't the the best, <laughs> to put it mildly, at all times. And I think. Um, you know, the, the media came in for some criticism for, for, for giving him any, any kind of oxygen. But, it, you know, you cannot ignore when a former first minister launches a new party, especially in the wake of everything that happened um, and was running against his uh, uh, well, mentee, to, to put it in one way. So 
uh, yeah, it was, Alba was was the big story. And then it kind of fizzled away because, I mean, part of the problem, of course, was we had COVID and we couldn't get out and about. And, you know, there weren't the protocols. There, there wasn't the daily, uh, right, we need to get to this part of the country or that part of the country to, to hear what the leaders are saying. That that didn't happen. So, um, And I also wonder if that had happened, how much more of the inquiry would have carried on into the election campaign because, you know, without a doubt, on a daily basis, Nicola Sturgeon and Alex Hammond would probably have been asked about that every day. But you didn't get that because you didn't have that access. You didn't have uh, the, the normal campaigning. So, so it kind of died away a bit, um, as, did, as did Alba's, as did the coverage of Alba, let's face it, really, because once they made their, their big launch and once they came out with their, their policy option, that, you know, that, that was kind of it. And it was very obvious from the polling early on that they weren't actually going to make that breakthrough. Um, and they have died away since. It's, it's all got very quiet from them. Obviously, Alex Salmond was um, seen, you know, um, virtually anyway last week talking about the, the Scottish-English football match and um, Alba's great event, which is upcoming in Greenock, apparently, annual conference. Um, so, uh, you know, they're not going away. Let's not pretend that that's what's happening they will be around for a while and like you say they will be contesting local elections next year and they already have a number of councillors you know people who were SNP and have uh, switched so they'll be looking to hold on to those seats and, and and take some more so it will depend I think be interesting to see how much the independence argument has moved on by next May for the local elections to whether or not people will, who are supporters of independence will remain happy with the SNP or will feel the local elections are a place to actually um, you know, give them a bit of a shake and say, right, we're not happy. Things aren't progressing as fast as we want. So we're going to vote for Alpa. So, yes, they're, they're not going away. Anybody who thinks Alex Salmon's going away, I think, is uh, on hiding to nothing. <laughs> well, he, he's got a book to finish, hasn't he, as well, that yeah. is uh, supposedly going to be filled with uh, um, problems for the SNP. But you know, going going back to Alba, you know, they, they, they there's a lot of talk from SNP circles that, uh, it was actually relatively helpful um, for the party going forward. It, it's 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 hived off a section of the the more fundamentalist um, pro independence uh, aspects of the party that a lot of a lot of uh, more moderate and probably Sturgeonite, if you want to put it that way, um, people don't you know tend not to agree with, and it's given the the independence movement on Twitter a outlet. Uh, for for its support, um, which is also probably in in a good way increased scrutiny on uh, the SNP and its uh, and its operations and 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 whether or not it is you know moving at a speed that the independence movement more nationally is comfortable with. But I think it's 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 interesting. You know, we we I we have to remember when talking about Alba that they've contested a single election and, and have had no successful, no one elected. All of their representatives at the minute haven't won an election under the Alba, Alba banner. Um, it, I, we haven't had um, a by-election, to my knowledge, where they've stood in a constituency. Um, and obviously with the single transferable vote system at the local elections, they could probably see the their representation improve. But it will be very interesting to see whether or not they have any impact next May, if they do, then there's probably some le- some some life in them yet, um, 
But if if they don't, there's a, there's a real question of whether or not it is representative at all of of the wider kind of nationalist movement in in Scotland and and whether or not it has any life. Yeah. And I think, you know, Neil Hanvey and Kenny McCaskill down in Westminster are being very loud, much louder than either of them were prior to the election about certain certain policy issues. Um, and it's it's it'll be interesting to see whether or not they continue to get the coverage of these things or whether or not they will be relegated to, um, you know, loudmouth back benches that they arguably are um, in, in Westminster. Yeah, I think, um, I think the point you make about the, um, the voting system for the local elections is, is true and they could easily pick up uh, councillors as, as a result of that. Um, but also I think what will impact on their success in those elections and indeed in any by-election that may happen before then is this pact or this deal that is uh, going to be struck over the summer uh, between the SNP and the Greens. So, um, you know, there are obviously people within the SNP who are um, a bit unsure about whether or not they should be uh, doing a deal with the Greens. And likewise, there are people, you know, in the Scottish Green Party who are unsure about that as well. So, but if they if they do come to some arrangement and agreement, you know that could well impact on the, the council elections next year. And depending again how well people think that arrangement is going, you might see you might see support for the Greens fall and support for you know the Alpha Party rise. And the Greens have been doing you know slowly but surely well in council elections. And I wonder if that will have an impact. On, on their support in them. But of course, I mean, it's all speculation at the moment. We don't even know if they'll reach a deal or, you know, what that might look like. But all of these things are, are in the mix. It's an interesting one, the Greens, because if, if you look down south, they are a remarkably resilient and growing force in, in local elections. I know, you know, my old patch down in uh, Suffolk, um, which is a world away from Scottish politics, but... Um, there are some similarities. The, the Greens pick up votes from the Conservatives rather than anyone else um, due to their, you know, very strong local roots and localism. And, and you see that to a certain extent in certain local governments up here as well. Um, so it'll be very interesting to see see where they go. Um, obviously, the other what's not going to stop over the summer is COVID-19. Um, recess you know, may stop the Holyrood process, but it ain't going to stop Nicola Sturgeon's probably standing up in front of TV cameras um, over the summer and talking about it. Um, it's hard to see what, what's going to change in the short to medium term with, De with the Delta variant, but how do you see the politics of COVID um, playing out over the, over the coming weeks? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? It does feel like there's, there's a shift away from... Um, the sort of political consensus around around all of this um and you know i think the the election will have played a part of that obviously because you can't be consensual and fight an election campaign um but coming off the back of that you know there's definitely there's a lot of disquiet and i think i would say it's it's come more from the private sector. It's come from business. It's come from the cultural sector. It's come from hospitality. You know, it's these groups who have really 
begun to 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 find their voice and and to be using it pretty loudly because they're desperately unhappy that they're not back to normal <coughs> for obvious reasons and don't believe that the support that they're receiving financially is enough um and then as a result of that of course what you have are politicians taking up the cudgels on their on their behalf uh, when they're in the, the the chamber um and at the same time you've got this looming deadline of the furlough ending in September and you know there's already those kind of you know conspiracy theories around oh well Nicola Sturgeon just wants to keep things as they are because that means that when furlough hits everybody's going to be redundant and out of a job and it's going to be terrible and it'll add um you know impact to her campaign for independence and, and so on and so forth I'd like to think that that is absolutely not what is in Nicola Sturgeon's mind because that is that is that would be playing with people's lives in a in a shocking manner and I don't believe that she's that kind of politician um but at the same time you have Labour and you have the Conservatives really beginning to ramp up the pressure of course just as we're about to go into recess how they'll manage to keep that up over the summer we'll have to wait and see because I think like you say at least weekly I would think Nicola Sturgeon will probably make some kind of Covid statement on, on the television just to keep people informed as she would see it and then of course we've had this weekend's um shenanigans with with Manchester you know Andy Burnham furious that um Nicola Sturgeon's saying you can't go to Manchester or people from Manchester can't come to Scotland and yet at the same time we've got you know hundreds of thousands of Scots fans in London you know for the football last week and nothing nothing really much said about that and all coming back to Scotland for the because the game is in Hampden uh, on Tuesday night so it's um yeah it feels if, I think it's beginning to feel more for a lot of people that there's a double standard going on at things um, while they were maybe never really all in sync, you know, over the course of the last year in terms of the regulations, feels like they're getting a bit further out of that synchronisation and it's what's good for the goose is not necessarily good for the gander and it's all, yeah, it feels, and those those are the kind of wedges that start to, the political parties start to feed into and, you know, to find their, their own voices. And, sorry, Connor, blabbering on here quite a lot, but what I thought was really interesting last week at FMQs was Anna Sarah going on the deaths um, from COVID amongst the health and social care workforce and how they are going to be investigated because it looks at the minute that despite a pledge that all of these deaths would be looked at because, you know, if you die as a result of your work, uh, something that's happened to you as a result of your work, there should be an investigation. There's less than half of the, the deaths uh, being looked at by this new COVID um, investigation team. So, you know, that is another issue that is, is going to come to the fore and that the government will have to do something about. I mean, it would take, I would think, very little for them to say, right, OK, yes, all of these deaths should be investigated. I'm not entirely sure why they're not saying that. But, um, yeah, there's there's definitely chinks in the armour of consensus uh, that there has been um, over the last year on COVID. And I think that will happen as, as we go on forward through the rest of the year. And I think I think that's becoming very clear between, in terms of the consensus on, on a four nations basis, um, that seems to have utterly disintegrated really in the last um, couple of months since, since the Hollywood election. I don't think that's, uh, I don't really think that's anyone in particular's fault. I think it's a very different approach to, um risk and caution i think you have a a bombastic um you know risk happy prime minister with um voices in his ear down south that are 
pro reopening um, and whether or not the, there's a fascinating cabinet splits in Westminster at the minute, you know, about pro pro keeping keeping things shut for a little bit longer or opening things up. Um, I think there was a good story in the Sunday Times over the weekend uh, on that, um, where the Treasury are very, very worried about all of these spending pledges that are coming coming forward. And then in Scotland, you you know, as, as almost the polar opposite, and it works for Nicola Sturgeon um, in, in, in the public profile, at least. Um, you have a very cautious first minister who's not who's not willing to to risk lives um, for for the economy to an extent. Um, I think it will be a fascinating. We're heading for a real crunch point, I think, towards the end of July, which is obviously the renewed date for um, the great reopening, as 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 the English press dub it down south. And in Scotland, it's 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 in reality, it's only shifting a few places down a level um that that date so you could end up in a situation where the biggest cities in scotland are in level two um at the start of august and the the, the rest of england and parts of most of scotland are in you know little to no restrictions at all um and i thought it was notable this is going back a few weeks but um prior to my holiday i thought it was notable that nicholas sturgeon was not willing to put a date on um, when all second doses for 18-year-olds 18, 18 and over would be completed. Now, the the answer, I think it was, was it, this was at her COVID statement last Tuesday, her answer in in, in, in response to this question um, from one of the opposition members was, you know, you can do the maths, you can work it out um, when it will all happen. And, you know, I've done the maths for me personally, and I won't be fully protected until September. Now, you can probably assume that there will be some degree of restriction in Scotland until that point, and that will be milked for all it is worth by the Conservative Party for not being bold enough and not being ambitious enough for, for businesses, by the Labour Party for not doing enough to protect workers and and, and 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 teachers and that sort of thing, and for the SNP in the terms of you know um, put it, holding up a mirror to to England and showing well, well at least we're not down there um, and. To be honest, that's much of what we've had for the last 18 months or so. And it'd be very interesting to see whether or not um, the polls, which I'm sure we'll have some of by that point, reflect whether or not they believe the public believe that which direction is the correct one. Um, because, you know, during the during the big the main aspect of COVID, Sturgeon's supposedly more cautious approach won her a lot of plaudits. I wonder if the opposite will be true as they see, as Scots see, other parts of the UK open up more quickly. Um, yeah. It'll be a very interesting watch. It will. And I think you're right. I mean, I think um, so much um, importance has been placed on the vaccine and being vaccinated that, rightly or wrongly, I think people now think, well, once that happens, then we just go back to normal. Right? And now, of course, it, it, we've got new variants of, of the virus arriving. And it's like, but there are always going to be new variants because that's what viruses do, and that's why we have a, a different flu jab every year. You know, so we, you know, it, it now is is the time to be thinking, right? Okay, so what is the what is the process here? We're going to have to have a booster every every winter, just like we do with flu, but for the whole population and not not just um, the elderly and uh, the vulnerable. So, um, because that's the only way that we can go back to any kind of normality, and I think people will be 
find it hugely frustrating if once the vast majority have had their both their jabs that there's that we're not all in level zero and that there's not a real kind of of return and i think you know the pub- public opinion might possibly really begin to shift at that stage when they think well we were all told it was a race between the virus and the vaccine we've had the vaccine we've won the race where's our freedom you know that'll be i think that that might be a uh, that might be the rhetoric that starts to come towards the end of the year and and the key pre-recess documents going to be published this week isn't it from uh, the the Scottish government on life after level 0 um which Nicola Surgeon uh, mentioned in in passing last week um would come i think that document is going to be poured over by everyone you know obviously it's incredibly interesting anyway but it will have significant implications for the weddings business the funerals business the cultural sector the entertainment sector the restaurant sector etc cetera, etc cetera. um and it will have a massive impact on how we can expect this government to respond when inevitably over the winter we have spikes in COVID-19 again and whether or not we will have some sort of lockdown approach um, similar to the one that we've had. I have a feeling the days of national lockdowns are over. Um, I, I'd be shocked if we went ever went back into another one of those at the scale that we had you know, in March last year and in, in January this year. Uh, but that document is going to be key to see what the Scottish government view the risks of literally of, of living with the virus, mm. or learning to live with the virus, as, as, as the First Minister s- says. Um, I believe that's due to be published either uh, tomorrow or Wednesday. Yeah, uh, along with the, the the refresh of all the, the coronavirus emergency legislation, there's that, that you know, mm-hmm. Parliament's going to have to um, talk about that over the next three days before they go into recess as well, so that some of those... Um, key measures such as allowing the courts and tribunal system to sit remotely uh, will continue uh, because they're all about to come to an end. So they're, they're, uh, they're going to extend that, possibly into 2022. So yes, things are not going to go back to normal uh, anytime soon, really, let's face it. And, and what life is like beyond level zero, while some people might think, well, that is just life as in before coronavirus, I think, you know, it's going to be a rude awakening about that because I don't think that's the case. Absolutely. And when we get back to Holyrood in in August, um, we'll obviously have a fresh parliamentary term and all of the MSPs, the new ones and the old ones will be fully settled in. Um, And I imagine that we'll be back to the old debates, even if Anasara is keen to to move on. Um, And IndyRef2 will be firmly back on the agenda um, how do you see, you know, the next year on IndyRef2 going? You know, the, 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 the debates around it never seem to stop, um, but people will be expecting some aspect of movement. What, what, what do you predict? It's obviously all speculation at this point, but what, what do you see happening in, in terms of independence in the next year? As, as you mentioned earlier, the new Lord Advocate will have to be in place and will have to make a decision on whether any legislation that's brought forward by the government um, for a second independence referendum is valid and within um, the powers of, of the Scottish Parliament. So that will have to happen. Um, I think it's interesting you mentioned the, you know, the Life Beyond Level Zero document because 
depending on what they say in that, again, will depend very much on whether they think they can actually go out and campaign for an independence referendum because um, those who, who who want, you know, NDRF2 to happen, they want to be out on the streets, you know, with their, their flags and, and to be marching and to have their street stalls and to have all that, um, to sort of almost relive that 2014 uh, joyousness as they experienced it. Um, not everybody said it was a joyful occasion, of course, but um, so they will not, I don't think they'll want to have an NDRF um, when they can't do that. So COVID, you know, kicking around still will put a damper on what might be possible. So again, that might just push it down the, the road a wee bit further yet. And of course, at the same time, the, the, the UK, the Westminster government has got no I mean, why, why should it shift its position? There, you know, it, it, in terms of where it stands, nothing has changed. You know, they're still dealing with a an SNP administration, um, a pro-independence parliament, because we still have, you know, an SNP Green pro-independence majority. Nothing's really changed as far as they're concerned. And they've always said no. So why would they say yes now to a Section 30 order? So I think that line will hold. So at the same time, what we'll then begin to see is within the independence movement and within the SNP, those challenges that they've spoken of before about you know legal action and so on and so forth. But again, that goes back to whether or not the Lord Advocate says, yes, you can have a referendum. And if it's an advisory referendum, then you know, you're probably talking about the opposition parties telling people not to get involved. So, you know, there's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot to be thought through on both sides, I think. Um, and we'll see that play out over the next year, absolutely. Because, of course, it's 2023 is being suggested as when it should happen. So, you know, all that needs to be sorted out. There needs to be a new white paper, you know, which involves a lot of work. So uh, they really will have to get their skates on if they're aiming to do it by then. So the next year will be fascinating to see how quickly it all moves. And obviously an interesting appointment by the SNP over the weekend. Um of Michael Russell, former Constitution Secretary, as the head of the political strategy around independence within the party. Um, he obviously was in charge of the 11-point plan um, that was published around SNP conference as well. Um, it, it's a, it, it's going to be a fascinating wee, ta- wee period of time with, um, I think we'll see battle, battle lines drawn maybe a little bit firmer in the sand than we have done so far. There's obviously talk within within Westminster circles that you you see reported that the conversation has gone has stopped being, you know, not now, um, and started going towards well, when when do we want it, um, and when do we how do we want the question to be asked? Um, and a few SNP sources suggesting that you know the there isn't going to be a referendum this side of the next general election. Um, in in the UK, which is obviously set for 2024 at the minute, and with Boris Johnson also talking about potentially not being, not hanging around as Prime Minister for more than a term, um, we could see a very different um, set of political players mm. post that election. You know, Prime Minister Rishi Sunak up against uh, First Minister Nicola Sturgeon um, would be an interesting uh, battle. Um, and then you also have to take into account the growing unease, which has been growing probably since day one of the day after the 2014 independence referendum of parts of the independence movement who believe we should have had independence yesterday. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, it's interesting you mentioned 2024 because obviously Boris Johnson might decide he wants to get out even quicker than that. So, um, you know, it's all in the lap of the, well, I would say the lap of the gods, but I wouldn't really put him on that kind of pedestal. But, the, um, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a bizarre situation when you have a prime minister like him where you just think absolutely anything could happen. So, and this idea that Rishi Sunak will will step in and, and replace him is interesting because I, you know, he's got the furlough um, to deal with when that ends, and the opprobrium that could be heaped on his head as you know people lose their jobs and um, and redundancy and unemployment figures go through the roof. Um, he might not survive that. Um, the one person who could survive all of this and end up as prime minister and it wouldn't surprise me if he did as michael gove because i was just about to say yeah <laughs> he's um, you know he's yeah he's like a cockroach in a nuclear attack isn't he? he's going to survive no matter what um i'm sure he'll thank I you know, for that it's description a, it's a horrible analogy to me because i'm not saying he is a cockroach let's be very clear but do you know what i mean he is somebody who always seems to manage <clears throat> to survive and re-emerge um, somehow unscathed by things, you know. Um, and cr- critically as well, it's worth mentioning that it, if, if Michael Gove, I mean, this is pure speculation and pure kind of hypothesis, but, you know, if Michael Gove were to um, follow Boris Johnson into into number 10, the, you would have an independence referendum fought on both sides by Scots. Yes. Um, and Which makes it very could, interesting. Which it, it 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 would arguably strengthen. Some would might argue the um, the pro unionist side by having an actual Scot at the figurehead of the UK government. Um, arguably, given Mister Gove's history and 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 his his connections, it could it could hurt. But it, it's a fa- it would be a fascinating twist yeah. to that to that whole debate. And he is a far more far slicker political operator than Boris Johnson in terms of of the union. Absolutely. And I think um, the story that appeared over the weekend about potentially extending the franchise of any independence referendum to include all, all Scots in the UK, no matter where they abide, not just living in Scotland, would be something I could imagine was dreamt up um, from the office of Mr Gove. So, <laughs> you know, and in a way, I can understand his argument around that because he is a Scot and he's, he is very Scottish and proud of his Scottish heritage. And to the idea that he could not be involved in a, a vote of that magnitude would be something that he would maybe want to, to change. And of course, the SNP will absolutely not want that to happen. They will want the same franchise as the last time. And um, also the same question. So that, uh, you know, again, will is another area that will, will have to be looked at because, the, um, you know, there, there, there are doubts raised about whether a yes, no question is, is the most effective or the fairest. Although, it's possibly the most effective as far as SNP is concerned, but is it the fairest for the public is the question. So well. I, I, have, I have to say, though, Gina, you know, my, my argument would be, you know, if uh, if those living out with of Scotland um, who are Scottish can vote on a Scottish independence referendum. I expect my vote for the city of York council elections in May 
in the post. Well, if it was up to me, Connor, <laughs> I would allow you that vote. <laughs> I would not want to vote in those elections, but yes. <laughs> no, well, I don't, without avoiding risk of being sidetracked into into York politics, which for, for uninitiated listeners is where I hail from, about which I know nothing. <laughs> Um, we'll, 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 we'll move on. Um, I think if we move away from the kind of long term for the next next parliamentary term and maybe into the shorter term, um, the the big scandal that is brewing, has been brewing, is going to land on the desks of all of the MSPs within days of Parliament returning and probably prior to that, um, given when results day is, is, of course, exam results in the SQA. Um there doesn't seem to be any acceptance that they are barreling towards a hideous head-on collision with another train coming the other way. Um, what, what do you think is going to happen? There's big discussions within the within the Scottish government, the SNP, at the minute about um, reform of the SQA, reform of Education Scotland. You know, root and branch review of the entirety of this. We've got the OECD report as we are talking has just been released. We've not read it. Um, but that'll be that'll be front of the newspapers when this podcast goes out on Tuesday. That is the big uh, political discussion point for when Parliament returns. Yes, but uh, but before when Parliament returns, I mean, at, at the end of the, this week is the week that the the pupils who sat these assessments, which let's face it, were just exams, but in a classroom and not in a a hall, um, they will get their results this week. Their teachers will tell them. Um, their provisional results, as they call them, because then they have to be um, approved by the SQA. And the SQA said they'll just rubber stamp those results, that they will not get involved in any kind of moderation this year. Um, but of course, what they don't say is that actually the, the, the local authorities and the schools have been moderating those results even before they go to the SQA. So between the grading that a teacher might offer to the one that the, the pupil hears this week, there will have been change for some of them anyway. Um, and beyond that, of course, is the whole um, the whole fact that, you know, teachers weren't allowed to bring into account any of the other work that the children did over the previous year. Um, so it was a, a sink or swim assessment at the end of the year. And in a year when the a lot of them have barely been in school. You know, they've had to tackle online lessons, which some schools have managed to do well. Other schools have, have you know, failed pretty much at. Um, you know, it's been a terrible year for children who are facing um, examinations, whether they're fourth, fifth or sixth year. And, you know, I think for parents who heard the words of John Swinney, the previous education secretary last year, saying the exams are scrapped, it will be based on teacher judgment, and that will be, you know, from the assessment that they will make of your child, of their work, because they know them and they, you know, <laughs> over the course of the year to have gone from that to come April time, oh, bang, here you are, assessments. I mean, it's been a, a tremendous stress on kids. And of course, there'll be kids who will be fine with that because there always are kids who are, who are um, driven and dedicated and, you know, want to achieve and, and they will have managed to deal with that no matter what. But there's certainly lots of kids who are not like that and will have um, suffered under this system when if they'd been in school all the way through they could have you know been pushed over the edge and maybe maybe got some examinations you know, some qualifications at the end of it so 
I think, uh, and then of course there's the appeals process, which seems to be another shambles. So yeah, the SQA, um, while they're trying to wash their hands, very Pontius Pilate-like of the whole thing and saying, well, it's up to the teachers and it's the schools and we're not having anything to do with it. I mean, we have to face facts that they're only going by the the um, guidance that was set down by the SQA. So it's, it, it, is, it is a shambles. I'm amazed, amazed that the government have allowed this to happen again. That's two years on the trot. Um, and of course, they say, oh, well, all of this was designed by this new national qualifications group that we set up and there are t- parents on that and teachers on that and da, 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 da. But they didn't, not all of them signed up to this, which is interesting, you know. Um, so, so yes, it is. It's a shambles and it is going to have to be dealt with by Shirley Ann Somerville. Um, and she's already promised the SQA and the Education Scotland will be reformed. How that will happen, we don't know. The OECD report today is likely going to say that the curriculum for excellence isn't working or it's not enough, not well enough resourced or there's you know it's a good idea but it's not been implemented properly so they'll have to deal with that as well so i think this next term as a parliament not just you know the immediate uh, immediately in september but over the next few years they're going to have to see some real radical uh, shake up of, of scotland's education system um which well, there will be a fight about, let's face it. Well, there's always a fight about everything, but education, there will definitely be a fight about it. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll, we'll, we'll hear more uh, on the 22nd of June from Shirley Ann Somerville. She's due to give a, a statement to Parliament responding to the OECD report, and I'm sure um, a lot of the opposition will be expecting detail about the nature of the reforms to the SQA and Education Scotland as part of that statement. Um, given the... Uh, the noise that has been made about the OECD report um, directing the potential uh, reform. So it'd be interesting to hear what she says. Um, Gina, thank you, as always, uh, for joining us. Uh, we are going to take a break next week as I jet off into the sunshine um, of hopefully a nice holiday. Um, but we will be back hopefully on the 5th of Jul- on the 6th of July, um, I should say, um, in a couple of weeks. Um, so Gina, thank you very much. Thank you, Connor. It's been lovely to do this, Steamy. Obviously, we just started this just before the election um, campaign kicked off. So it's been a whole new experience and um, it's great. And to anybody who's listened every week or just the odd week or whenever, or, or you've immediately gone, oh, what is this rubbish and switched <laughs> off again. Thank you <laughs> for taking the time to, to listen to us. Absolutely. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. The Steamy, a laudable production for the Scotsman.